In an age of myth and legend, the world trembles before the power of Necron, master of evil, ruler of ice. Against him stand Tigra, princess of Firekeep, and captive of the ice demons, Larn. Last of a mighty warrior tribe. And her only hope of escape. And Dark Wolf, mysterious Avenger. And sworn enemy of the Ice Tyrant. Their courage will be tested. The challenge must be met. The final battle between the armies of the cold and the Keepers of the Flame is about to begin. Fire and Ice From the visual imagination of Ralph Bakshi and the dazzling artistry of Frank Frazetta A Fantasy Adventure From 20th Century Fox I hit him at the theater and the usher nods me in They know me here I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. That's not terrible. <laughs> I was expecting to get like that, have a nice comedic little you get what you pay for thing, but no, it's not that bad. <laughs> well, wait a few hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait. Yep. Aftertaste. Tastes like sex. Sweat. Yep. Sweat. <laughs> yep. Sex sweat. Or sweat. Sweat. Tastes tastes like uh, sex. <laughs> well, both. It kind of tastes like a jockstrap. So. <laughs> kind of tastes like a jockstrap. Yes, sir. And we're live here on the spoiler room. <laughs> I don't want to know how you how you know that tastes like a jockstrap, Scott. I, I I'd rather not. Uh, well, college college years, man. College years. <laughs> we just put it up. Experimental years. It was experimental. It was okay back then. Uh, jock straps were in, uh, but yeah. and out. Sorry. In the in, in the words, hey, in the words of Cole Porter, experiment, experiment. So, <laughs> you know. But yes, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Spoiler Room. It is March. We're doing mature animated films, and I have a great crew with me tonight uh, to cover today's film. We're doing another Ralph Bakshi. Film last week, the animated film was American Pop, and this week we are going back to the fantasy realm with Ralph Bakshi's Fire and Ice from 1983. And joining me in the room tonight, first off, we have the BFD back. It is Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. Hello, and how are you this evening? Yes. excellent answer and next to glenn he is back with us he was with us for some of the animated films and some sci-fi episodes and he is with us once again in the spoiler room it is jason hello jason how are you hello mark i am doing very well tonight thank you 
glad you could join us and uh, your little icon there on the Google Hangouts. I like that, that it's Tarzan <laughs> fighting. Uh, yeah, that's a uh, Frazetta uh, painting from uh, Jungle Tales of Tarzan, uh, Ace Paperback that I have. So Nice. Nice. Yeah. Very fitting as well with Kong Island coming out this weekend. So uh, you yes. got, got the ape in there. And I'm, a huge, I'm a huge pulp f- fiction fan, so I hats off to that too. So yeah, that, is, that is very cool. And next one returning once again, he joined us on Logan. It is the man of mystery. It is Ray Sidman. Hello, Ray. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Oh, glad you could make it back. And last but definitely not least in the his house, the man, Scotty D. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm good. Sometimes I'm least, though. So, <laughs> you know, depends on what day you're catching me on. And it's been a rough day. It's getting a little better. So hopefully not completely least. <laughs> well, we are glad you could join us tonight to talk about Ralph Bakshi's Fire and Ice and the synopses per Mr. IMDb is... In an animated tale, a tiny village is destroyed by a surging glacier, which serves as the deadly domain for the evil ice lord Necron. The only survivor, a young warrior, Larn, who vows to avenge this act of destruction. The evil continues, however, as Necron's palace of ice heads straight towards Firekeep, the great fortress ruled by the good king, Gerald. When Gerald's beautiful daughter, Tigra, is abducted by Necron's subhuman ape-like creatures, Laren begins a daring search for her. What results is a tense battle between good and evil, surrounded by the mystical elements of the ancient past. Uh, that's a really good synopsis. Uh, it looks like it was not written by anyone involved in the actual movie. No. <laughs> I was going to say, that that's, uh, that's, a, that's a way to kind of make the plot sound a lot more involved than it really is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I may have missed something. <laughs> Which that, sounds like did... a, that sounds like a three-hour movie right there. <laughs> what, what, what film did they watch? So. <laughs> it's the Netflix description. <laughs> yeah, no, the Netflix description would be t- completely off. It would be an animated tale about Neanderthals who attack a woman and a man rescues them. Oh, and also it's animated. And animated in <laughs> Europe. Again, also, say, also it's if animated. You like this, <laughs> what? Right. Netflix would also say, if you like this, then you'd love Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> and Babe, the talking pig. Uh, oh, Netflix, you... You fiend, you. But back to Fire and Ice. Yes, uh, Ralph Bakshi's another fantasy film. We covered one in our last animated month, which was Wizards. And this one is definitely more in the fantasy realm, coming out a year after Conan the Barbarian. And uh, Glenn, what are your initial uh, feelings uh, when you first saw this film? When I first saw it, I liked it. Um, and it felt kind of like a, like a D&D movie to me mm-hmm. when I first saw it. It also taught me that to to never, never trust random redheads you meet in the woods. <laughs> never, redheads in the woods are never up to any good ever, ever, ever. So, but yeah, I, I dug it. I dug it when I first saw it. I remember, I remember checking this out and liking it. I actually, what this when I first saw this was the same time uh, when I first saw Wizards. 
Oh, sure. A friend of mine came over and he had them both on VHS. We watched them back to back. Oh, nice. That that's a heck of a uh, double feature there. That is. That that's a that's a good double feature. That's when you you nestle in for a while and just enjoy some uh, fun films. So, uh, and it, did you do you revisit often or uh, have you watched it for uh, a while? Or? I well, I, I just watched it again uh, for this, but I've seen it probably five or six times. I'd say definitely fits well with Wizards. Actually, one they they could almost be within the same uh, same world. <laughs> in in many ways. So, uh, uh, Jason, how about you? When you first experienced Fire and Ice, um, I kind of had a kind of a vague memory of it. Um, kind of kind of remember liking it, and then I uh, I checked it out again just uh, about the same time that we did the uh, the Wizards episode because we had been talking about it, and uh, so. But I think that would have been like the second time I saw it, and then I just watched it a third time uh, just recently here with the commentary and things like that. So um, I certainly wouldn't get into more details, but uh, I, I enjoy it. It's maybe a little uneven and uh, there's good things and bad things, but uh, overall I do enjoy it. Awesome. And how about you, Ray, with Fire and Ice, your first experience with it? Uh, well, mine was kind of like Glenn, and I watched it around the same time as Wizards. I remember I was in high school, and it, there was just this period where I, you know, I'm from small town Kansas, so there was suddenly this discovery of, as you remember, all around the same time, I I watched Heavy Metal for the first time, and Fire and Ice, and Wizards, and then the Rankin Bass 2 Hobbit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the Hobbit and the Return of the King. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot, uh, specifically Fire and Ice a lot, because it was a very D&D &D movie to me. Um, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. At some point, shortly after that, I tracked it down on VHS. I want to say, I'm pretty sure it was a Good Times video. Mm -hmm. I think so, And yeah. I had that, yeah, I had that for years. I now have the, the, the Blue Underground two-disc set that, you know, I figured, well, this is probably, you know, higher quality than my Good Times VHS. So, <laughs> no, there's yeah, but I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say there's something to say about VHS, but. Uh. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I've, I don't know. I So I've been watching it now for uh, a quarter of a century, something like that. I don't know how many times I've seen it. I, I would several at least. Sure. So I would also say it 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 uh, it, it has its flaws. Mm -hmm. It is far from a perfect movie, but it it's uh, a cult favorite of mine. Awesome. And Scotty D, your your first uh, experience with this film. I can't remember the exact time specifically. I saw this for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, I know it was sometime in the mid eighties. Um. <clears throat> Now, I was a huge, 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 huge fan of Conan. Uh, the comic books, the Robert E. Howard stories, um, the Robert Jordan stories, the bastardizations by Elsberg de Camp, uh, <laughs> all of it. Uh, and, you know, and I, I knew who Ralph Bakshi was. I hadn't been able to see any of his movies yet, uh, aside from Wizards, I think. And,. I think that, you know, how I've talked on other podcasts about how we I used to hop from video store to video store because this one will have titles that the other one didn't have. 
I think it was like a long time before I actually found one that carried Fire and Ice. Like they, they just didn't have it. I mean, I, I was aware of the movie, and it came out in that sweet spot year of 1983, like 82, 83, 84. That was like my like prime nostalgia period. And um, I finally got a chance to see it on VHS, and I think by the time I saw it, I was like, yeah, it's like a feature-length uh, co- uh, Marvel Conan comic. Not Savage Sword, but, you know, Conan the Barbarian, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't bad, you know? I was like, it kind of reminded me of the era that where, where even though no one's like this in the movie, it kind of reminded that era of Conan comics from that period of time where there was like maybe like a two or three year period where Conan was wearing a blue shirt throughout oh. everything. And it kind of reminded me of that period, uh, which would have been around the time Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway uh, were writing uh, for Conan. They wrote the script too. And they, ooh, they should have been allowed to keep their original screenplay for Conan the Destroyer the next year because they're, um, they're, if you ever get the chance to read the novelization of Conan the Destroyer, it's a lot better than Conan the Destroyer uh, because it was, uh, it just wasn't as jokey. And, um, it was definitely more R-rated mm-hmm. um, while still being just a fun adventure movie. This one, Fire and Ice kind of felt like a mixture between D&D and like a prototype of, oh, okay, how do we write a screenplay? Um, and they just kind of like, they basically wrote a bunch of action sequences. Mm-hmm. And um, not bad action sequences. It was kind of entertaining. Uh, you could get me to watch just about anything fantasy, anything Conan, anything uh, remotely like that around this period of time. And I think then as now, I said, yeah, this is this is a pretty good one. Yeah, I'll say it was a good one as well. My dad dug this movie. Uh, again, as I've mentioned in the past, the, he, they, my parents took me to a lot of films, to the Oriental. Uh, I believe that's where they actually showed this film uh, was down there. And then, uh, you know, you'd run across it on uh, cable or, or VHS and that. And I remember seeing it. Hadn't seen it for a while, but I do remember the characters and digging it quite a bit at that young age of eight. Uh, <laughs> which uh, it is it is mature in a lot of, lot of ways. But uh, it's still, I think it... It's still not... Kids could probably watch it. I, I'm sure people would probably throw a fit today, but... Because uh, there's a lot of you know, a lot of on-screen deaths, but overall, I I you know I dug it as a kid, and, and it stuck with me for a while. I think it was mainly because of the three characters, well, especially one character in particular, uh, which uh, we'll we'll talk about in just a minute uh, with this. But overall, yeah, uh, it's been a while since I watched it, and watching it uh, just recently for this episode, I it made me realize that yeah, this this is a fun film. It, it isn't. It isn't a perfect, solid, really deep film, uh, and there's some questionable decisions, which we'll get into a little later, uh, that that the plot takes. But it it opens strong, I think. I mean, here we have, uh, you know, the summary where they kind of catch you up the story so far, and then we open with these guys with basically axes and and spears in that fighting a glacier. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, this, but it, it was a good way to introduce the Necron character and, and the other characters, I thought. Uh, Jason, how did you feel about uh, the way this film opened? 
Yeah, it it opened very similarly to Wizards because Wizards had the same thing. It had the you know the the static illustrations um, and the the voiceover, uh, just like Fire and Ice, and and then you jump into the action. Um, yeah, I I thought the I always thought the glacier was kind of, and I really like the animation of the glacier, but um, the yeah, I thought it was a good a good opening and and uh, you know kind of kicks off the action right away and and with uh, Larn and you know fighting the, the subhumans and and uh, yeah, it was a good way to kick it off. Yeah, you're right. It it did have a very similar opening vibe to Wizards. When would you agree with that, Glenn? That uh, when you watch this, it it really feels similar to at least the opening of Wizards. Oh, very much so. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it's a. I mean, a lot of it is. It's a trope that's in fantasy a lot, where you have some evil wizard who threatens, you know, the last bastion of you know decency in the world. <laughs> yeah, he's always. And and usually the villain is just doing it because he's an ass. <laughs> yeah. Because. Because he has power and he just wants to crush people because he doesn't know what else to do with it. Yeah. So and it's, uh, it's good we have no correlation to that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it. Wow. <laughs> you, you had to say that, Glenn. It, it came I, up even quicker than I thought it would. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and scene. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> Well, mentioning uh, power-hungry, arrogant, uh, you know, villains. Yes, Necron. Uh, I I dug Necron quite a bit in this film. And and it's funny because you get the the synopsis in the beginning. You think the Juliana character, which is his mom, uh, is going to be like the the main heavy. But uh, she's just been, you know, grooming Necron to be the ultimate baddie. And. I just dug how this guy was throughout the film, you know, how, how just arrogant he was and, and his powers and everything about him. I really, I really thought they uh, worked, uh, you know, worked him well and, and wrote up a, a pretty solid villain. What'd you think Ray on, on Necron and how he was written? Yeah, I thought that was almost a little, uh, I, I thought there was some lack of balance in there just because mm-hmm. the first half of the movie, he's total mama's boy. And then the second half of the movie, he's just total domineering evil jerk guy, <laughs> which is actually how he's listed in the credits. So uh, <laughs> it's after I, the I don't know. Necron, right? <laughs> right, right. Sure, that too. And I don't know. I just thought there was a, a lack of balance in there. I, I just mm-hmm. thought, you know, maybe have him having this show of force earlier on, or maybe have mom having more influence even later because it, it was, it's just kind of like, there's this point in the movie where suddenly she has no sway over him whatsoever. And he's just, you know, yeah. taking control. And early on he's, he's almost, uh, you know, obsequious, Mm-hmm. with her uh, toward her it's like well okay um that said yeah he, he was he was a fine bad guy and i enjoyed him mm-hmm. um especially later in the movie but at the same time i kind of you know in the first half of the movie I was like well this this is a little different we've got the whole uh, bad guy with that's a mama's boy type thing it's a little different 
Yeah, and I think maybe they were leaning towards you know he, he was as he was getting closer to Firekeep, he's getting a little more power hungry and and realizing he might not need Mama anymore. Though it's not really explored as deep as that. Uh, that's what I was kind of getting to, but I was kind of filling in the blanks because they do kind of leave that. They do kind of make a hop with his character, Scott. How about you with uh, Necron? That would have been great if we could have seen that be more pronounced. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't. I thought there was an interesting dichotomy at the beginning of the movie. Like, okay, and as this goes along, we're going to find out more about Necron, right? And we never really do. Now, the right. Juliana character—that's his mother, right? Yes. You're not looking mm-hmm. okay. Uh, the Juliana character, of course, I liked her a lot because I. She's voiced, as is the narration, by Susan Tyrell. And I love Susan Tyrell. Uh, also from Wizards and uh, Forbidden Zone and you know, just a million other great things. And so I was into, into like, you know, oh, yeah, let's hear, hear more about this relationship. I'll be honest with you. By the end, he's just another boring villain, you know, who, you know, makes a lot of, like, orgasmic faces as the glacier moves forward and like, <laughs> kind of like... And and he either sits in the throne room or minces about the throne or whatever. And he's just not, oh, yes, oh, I'm so bored with my power. And yeah, I just kind of want to punch him in the dick. And I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought those were Sorry. constipation faces, not orgasm faces. <laughs> it, 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 could, it, could, it could be. And, and judging like how you roll, I mean, they might be one and the same. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> wow. You know? I was confused. Oh. Like, what's the deal? <laughs> Disregard like, me, please. Carry on. No, <laughs> and, uh, no I mean, it's just it's just, a, it's just a character. Sorry, I was just no. Deal, go on. I was just like that's. So I did think it was a. I, I'll agree. I wish that that stuff was more pronounced. But I thought he was in the end. I thought he was kind of a dull, generic character. Honestly, Glenn, how about you? Your your thoughts with Necron? My thoughts of Necron. Well, first of all, he is. Uh, he reminded me actually of uh, Elric of Melbourne from mm. the Elric books. Just oh. his appearance, his appearance <laughs> yeah. does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is every time, every time I see, I see this movie, I think, oh, uh, it's not Elric. Um, <laughs> Elric's a bigger dick. Um, but I think he's a good villain. Um, I, I I like his. I mean, it's it's yeah. He's he's very. I don't even know. It's it's like he it's like he doesn't even know why he does what he does anymore. Yeah. Because. Who, who said it? That, that I'm so bored with my power. Who said? Whoever said that? That's exactly it. Yeah. He's just bored now. But he, has, just, I'm he doesn't know what else to do. He doesn't know what else to do because this is all he's good at. Yeah, and and he is good at it. I mean, uh, and I will say of the two sides, he may be the smarter of the two <laughs> because we have our firekeep folk, who actually our hero isn't from the firekeep from my uh, understanding with it, he was from a smaller village. He didn't actually, uh, he wasn't actually part of the people of the fire keep. Was he? Who our hero? Uh, no, no, no. He's no, a small no, tribe. Yeah. No, he, he was from the plains. Right. right. So and he the, was from the, 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 the tribe got wiped out. Yeah. Right. Come on now. Right. You, you're, you're saying he's smarter than the people who thought they could use spears against a giant wall of ice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm saying the people I'm saying that Well, besides that, I just say Necron seems smarter in general versus even the people at fire. Oh, yeah. supposed to be the king and that, and you know, he sent, we get that scene where uh, it sets up to how Tigra gets uh, kidnapped and we'll talk about uh, her in a minute, but <laughs> he sends those envoys over and, you know, the good guys are just are dumb good. 
they're too trusting and just naive and and don't and whiny and whiny. <laughs> Uh, I didn't exactly care for most of the people of Firekeep uh, for most of the film because for when we do see them, because yeah, it's just like, really, what would you think was going on? Uh, you know, and, and you have Tigra, who's the princess who, okay, I, I'll start off when we first see her, uh, she's sitting there and she's getting her lessons and they're having this bit of dialogue, which I thought was interesting where she's talking about, Oh, you know, they're making me just learn and I don't get a chance to fight. But then the Neanderthal men who are under Necron's uh, rule uh, secretly crawl up the tower and kidnap her. And she's suddenly damsel in distress. I'm like, well, okay, you were talking about wanting to fight people, but you didn't really seem to put up much of a a fight. Uh, (laughs) Scott, what did you think about Tigra? Uh, the character uh, and and especially that kidnap scene. Well, when I think about fire and ice, I always think about one thing: boobs. Bo- boobs. I was just gonna say boobs. So so, okay, maybe two things. <laughs> but um, the uh, but you know, yeah, it, you know, it's all based on Frank Frazetta artwork. Mm-hmm. So and of mm-hmm. course, he makes his men the very Doc Savage you know perfect specimens of muscle and the women are very shapely and curvy and and tigra there's a lot of inconsistencies with it because she does talk a good game and then she gets you know they kill her poor cat which i was bummed out by i was bummed out by more killing her cat than her than her teacher and (laughs) um and they and, and they uh you know she like screams and she spends a lot of time in this movie being grabbed and like having like her little legs kicking while like somebody's carrying her out somewhere throughout this movie. Cause she spends a lot of time getting captured. She also has moments in the movie where she does show on ingenuity mm-hmm. and try to get out of her scrapes. Like there's a, like after she's captured, she remains captured for a very short period of time until she like uses her comely charms as they might say in a Frank Frazetta thing uh, to, you know, get out of it. And, um, then there's another part where she does actually wind up saving the hero's life uh, later on in the film, which I thought was a nice touch. But, I mean, these are like moments in between where she is very much, you know, just this rag doll that's tossed back and forth between captors mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie because it's a very traditional pulpy movie. And I don't know. You could make the argument if, if uh, it's all tradition or if it's just a little bit of misogyny or <laughs> what the deal is, honestly, with the Tigra character. It's a very problematic character. <laughs> I mean, she is. She, she was uneven. I, mean, I, I liked her, but at the same time, it, she was uneven. Jason, how about you with Tigra? Would you say she was a bit uneven? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, obviously it's coming from the the pulp tradition, you know, and Edgar Rice Burroughs and Robert e. Howard and, you know, just, but, but, you know, I would have rather have seen a character like Red Sonia or right. Valer- Valeria or, uh, Belie- 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 from yes. the, yeah, from the Conan comics. I mean, Roy Thomas, you know, had wrote tons of issues. I mean, they could have, they could have done something more along those lines. I wish they would have because it, it's an unfortunate, you know, part of the, the story and, and the character that, you know, there's there's flashes of you know her being spunky and and you know uh, yeah using her brain or, or trying to you know uh, pr- you know 
help herself and and not just be the damsel but but there's too much of the you know the other stuff too it would have been it would have been better if they would have i think i think just had a, a stronger uh female character more in the in the along the lines of you know like red sonia or something like that yeah, and, and I don't know if it's maybe they wrote her that way just so that you can have a little more, you know, so she doesn't outshine Larn. But there were moments where I'm like, all right, here we go. And then the next moment, she's trying to cut chains with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she must not have gotten that far in her studies. <laughs> I mean, you know, one minute she she's actually, yeah, she's kind of, you know, being secretive with the knife and, and she snuck it out of the drunk guy's, you know, back loincloth or whatever. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, she'd be, it, and I'm like, then like sitting there going, what, why are you trying to cut the chain? Why, why just not untie the chain from the dead guy? You know? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, there is some unevenness with her. Uh, what about you, Glenn? Any any thoughts with Tigra? I just her she's a yo-yo. Yeah. She's a, I mean it's it's like badass. Oh no, just pound his back helplessly. Badass, pound his help back helplessly. Badass, pound his back, back helplessly. It was just yeah. back and forth. It's like it was two different characters. It's like, "Oh, I I'm smart yeah. enough to sneak to sneak away here. Oh, I got caught again. All I can do is flail about like an idiot. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it did feel like that. And it was it was interesting because when he set it off, you know, where she mentioned that she didn't want to fight. And I understand she didn't have her training or anything. But I was kind of hoping for this kind of solid arc of, okay, she goes from the girl who was just being taught and being out in the wilderness or whatnot kind of gets her street sense on. And, you know, by the end of the film, she's as badass, if not more badass than Larn, which uh, isn't too difficult actually uh but ray would would you have liked to see a, a more solid arc with the tigra character yeah i mean you know she was you know i, I like the description of her as a yo-yo you know when she faces necron she's all cool and calm and collected and willing to stare him down but you know earlier in the movie when she's captured by team troglodyte <laughs> She just <laughs> flips right over to Kardashian mode and <laughs> she's helpless. And like you said, she's taking a knife to a chain. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they, there was some inconsistency with her as well. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't think you can look at that character and not think there's some at least exploitation involved with her particular garb. Sure, we could almost call it that. Yeah, almost garb, which I'm like, considering the wilderness she's in, she stays pretty clean. Uh, mm -hmm. you know. yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a lot of mud around, and yet, you know, she's wearing it. But... Let, let me ask you something, Mark. Yes. Have you, have you spent a whole day running through the woods almost naked? <laughs> have um, you ever? Uh then you're speaking there's from a position two, of non-experience, my friend. Everybody knows when you're not clothing, you don't get dirty. He never actually <laughs> answered that question, you know. <laughs> so moving rolled, on to Larn. They rolled, they, rolled different, they rolled differently in Wisconsin. <laughs> That's right, man. We we jump we jump into the we jump into lakes in January. So you know <laughs> Well, when you do a sauna correctly, you have a steam and then you go jump naked into a snowbank. That's right. <laughs> 
and uh, and then we uh, moving on now uh, oh, before we, we talk about Sorry. me running <laughs> through the woods, uh, sans clothing. Um, we have Larn, who this guy he tries and and he. <laughs> Uh, fuck Lauren, let's talk about Dark Wolf. Come on. <laughs> okay. He tries. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Dark Wolf. I was saving the best for last, Jason. All right, all right. I just all want, right. I'm sorry. I really do want to see the, the, the character list on this because we have the one we could have Necron as uh, Mr. Jerkface, as I think Ray said, is <laughs> like the character list. And then, then uh, Tigra, Boobs, Lauren. Larn, he tries. <laughs> just like this is like the pitch <laughs> for all the people. I mean, he he does try, you know. I I'm I, he. There's moments he's also kind of yo-yo in a sense, in that he's a little more consistent. But kind of like the Tigra character, there's parts where he's actually showing flints of like being all right, the hero you want him to be, and then there's times when you're just going what 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 are you doing larn i mean glenn as far as heroes go larn is larn isn't he <laughs> yeah he says he's as heroic as his name sounds <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't you want something a little more from your hero than what we get from larn yeah generally <laughs> yeah it's like oh who will say this uh i guess i will <laughs> who are you <laughs> Tis I, Larn. And everybody sighs. <laughs> Makes you wonder if in his tribe he was that guy who volunteered for everything and people are just like, oh. I think he else? was. I think he was, though. No, seriously, that's the one thing I do like about. I actually. I will say that Larn is a little more consistent than most of the characters mm-hmm. in, in that. At the beginning, they said, like, well, we're, you know, basically the first lines of the movie are, I'm paraphrasing, well, we're too, totally hosed here. Larn, go go catch, go catch up with your brothers or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and um, I, he caught me as that, like, that he, he was the last survivor of his tribe, not because uh, he was so agile and athletic, but he was just dumb luck. Right. And he is agile. He is athletic. He's also not terribly bright. And he wants to be the hero, and he has a real need, a real purpose all throughout the film. And he's so he is trying, like you said, he does try, and he is trying to be this hero, but he's just not that good at it yet. I mean, he's he's a real novice, and as far as that goes, I'm like, okay, I can get with that. I can get with that, that he has a lot of the willpower and he has the athletic ability, but he's really a novice at this. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Right. I can, so I can kind of get behind that character even a little more than I could uh, some of the others. Even if he's not, you know, it's like, oh shit, Conan must have been busy. Damn it. <laughs> could we get anybody? Uh, at Ator? Ator? Was Ator busy? Oh, crap. <laughs> We got, we got Death Stalker, Death Stalker around. Please, anybody. please, please. anybody. <laughs> your, we'll take your. <laughs> I guess we got Larn. So yeah, you're you're right in that sense. I guess yeah. Now that you mention it, the in the beginning, it's just kind of like yeah. There's nothing more you can really do here, Larn. Go with your brothers. Uh, 
so yeah, with, with that, he does, he is the guy who's really the hero in learning and getting his trial by fire, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, it's just for, for him being featured, uh, on the cover a bit, of course, he's not the guy who's at the highest peak on the cover. Uh, that would be dark wolf. And, uh, Jason, how do you feel about Dark Wolf? <laughs> well, Dark Wolf is, you know, the the hero that we we all want in in the movie. He's the the you know the Conan or the Tarzan or the you know whatever the he's you know absolutely infallible and and uh, he's you know a cool character. I like the um you know that I think the first time we see him and the last time we see him, it's basically the the Death Dealer uh, painting by Frank mm-hmm. Frazetta. Um, is really kind of cool and and um, yeah, he's just he's just that that Wolverine, you know. He's he's just that uber uber cool uh, hero. So he, he character. He's the one that you you were kind of hoping Larn would would end up being since we're introduced to him, and then he well, comes along and you're like, why do we even have Larn? Let's just go with Dark. Wolf. Well, yeah, but you know, I I do think it it does add a little bit of a of a nice wrinkle or a, or a complexity to a pretty simple story that you don't just have the single male hero. You've got, you know, Larn who's, who's, he tries and, uh, and, and, and dark wolf who, you know, he can look up to and, and can, you know, get him out of uh, jams and, and kind of help, help things move along. And, you know, so I, I do kind of like the, the interplay, I guess, between, you know, all the different characters as opposed to just having Larn or, or, or just having uh, Dark Wolf. Yeah. Well, uh, I just, I, you, everybody, I mean, you're supposed, Dark Wolf is the cool character. He's the guy who, you know, rolled really good when they were creating his character. He, yeah. He all had the high stats when they rolled. <laughs> um, <laughs> you seen again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, what should my wardrobe be? Uh, axe and a wolf's head. Okay, there yeah. you go. What what class should I be? I should be fighter. Nah, I think the class I'll be is Deus Ex Machina. That's, <laughs> that's the class I will be. How'd you feel with Dark Wolf, Glenn? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I remember loving him when I was a kid. Yeah. And then wanting to play a character like that in D and D, but I mean, it's the fact that it's like, what's he been doing up till now? <laughs> It's like he waited, like, ah, okay, the world's almost dead. I guess I'll go do something. Like, what was he? Was he like, he must have just been off somewhere. Uh, he was just, battling uh, alcoholism. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say he was um, grinding to level up like a hundred times. So he yes, could go, there you go. Hide, hide, <laughs> hiding off, killing, you know, killing pigs in the forest. <laughs> he killed a million pigs in the forest to get to the level he's at. <laughs> he was though. I mean, I I love this character. This was the guy that you really, you know, you're supposed to dig, and you're just like, man, you know, if I was anyone, I'd just say, yeah, we'll just go let him do. Go, just go ahead. No, we we've got you, Dark Wolf. We'll watch your back. Just go ahead, <laughs> take care of things. Uh, Scotty D, how'd you feel with Dark Wolf? I I liked him a lot. Of course, he's the coolest. I mean, everybody says like, yeah. I mean, okay, you know, you got Larn, who's our your hero, and he's the prototypical hero. He's got the loincloth and, and you know, going and everything like that. But Dark Wolf is just the badass of the group. 
And um, he is a supporting character, and I think a lot of people are kind of upset that he's the supporting character. And you think that he's all cashed his chips uh, to save Lauren's ass uh, halfway through the movie, only to show up at the end of the movie and save his ass again. <laughs> and um, he is, yeah, he's the total death dealer painting. I, you know, I watched the extras years ago when I got first bought the Blu-ray to this movie. I watched the extras years ago. And they, I think they explained why they didn't just call him Death Dealer, and I can't remember what it was because I didn't watch him this time. But he's that. But that was definitely who the character was. He was like the just this totally jacked up person. I didn't really catch like what who he was. I mean, what's his deal? Um, do we ever really know, or is he just basically like the Clint Eastwood type man with no name type character? So in, in the extras, they explain that, and it was cut out of the movie, but in the original script, he is uh, Necron's father. Oh. Necron's father. Oh, Correct. I thought they were going to say he was Lauren's father. Or no, something. no, he's, he's Necron's father. And huh. there was a, yeah, there's a, one of the uh, extras. Um, uh, I could have extra watched this. these too, and I didn't do it, so. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, they, they talk about it a little bit in the comment, the director's commentary, but they also, um, there's an extra with um, the guy that played Necron. It's, he kind of goes through his, the diaries that he wrote uh, on, on set, and there's actually, a, uh, they show the page of the script, and he goes through it where, you know, it kind of reveals that whole relationship there. But, but that was cut out of the... Uh, of the final film and, and Bakshi, Bakshi and this guy that wrote the diaries, neither of them like, they were like, well, why, why did we do that? Why, why didn't we, why did we cut that out? And there's like no good explanation for why they cut it out. It, at least not given, not given in the extras anyway. So. Well, that, that, that is part, that is a shame. Cause I think that would have added just a nice little extra depth to, to both sure. characters with them. This movie uh, needs depth. I'm just like, let's, not lie. Yeah. let's not die. We may think it lie. Let's not lie here. We, we think may think the movie is really, you know, cool and stuff like that, but this movie could kind of use a little more depth. Well, no, I don't, I don't know. Oh, I, I think Kiefer's cleavage was pretty deep. <laughs> well, I, 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 I was going to say that uh, in, in the extras, I thought it was a, it was a uh, kind of a cool quote from Bakshi. He was like, yeah, we ended up with a comic book script. It certainly wasn't Tolkien, and it wasn't Wizards. And you, know, you, you could, I, I think it was, um, it was Frazetta had the relationship with Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway, and and kind of got them to write the script. And you know, the the script is, I mean, it's it's a lot like a Conan comic that that mm-hmm. you know Roy was was writing at the time, and and I, you know, it was, I, I think, Bakshi was deferring to Frazetta. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bakshi wanted to make a little bit, a little different of a movie than it turned out to be, but that's kind of what Frank wanted. And he was just, at least that's the impression I got uh, from the director's commentary. Mm-hmm. Bakshi was, you know, he wasn't disappointed or he wasn't, but you could kind of tell that it was like, yeah, you know, Frank, Frank wanted that. So that's what we went with. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you you're all right that uh the, it could have used a little more depth. That's why I, I wanted to explore the characters because this is basically good versus evil thing, 
far the story goes, there, there's not a whole lot as far as the actual plot of anything. We've got a good guy who's going against bad guy and and they fight. <laughs> That's, and we, we've got our hero trying to find the damsel in distress. So, uh, but then you have Dark Wolf. So, Ray, uh, just before we move on, your, your thoughts with Dark Wolf, anything that had? Well, you know, just going off the, uh, you know, cut storyline about he's Necron's father, uh, maybe they cut it because they didn't want to damage his credibility. I mean, okay, so this guy nailed Juliana because <laughs> he seems pretty awesome. But, I mean, he's really, he, he is the classiest character in the movie. I mean, with yeah. Larn, he's he's very magnanimous. He He could totally just be condescending toward Larn. You know, mm-hmm. they're sitting here. So who do we got going after Tigra? Maverick and Goose? No, we've got Dark Wolf and Larn. <laughs> but Dark Wolf totally treats Larn as an equal throughout. He's very cool about it. He's he's got he's the classiest character in the movie. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's the only bit I would add about Dark Wolf. And who knows, maybe they didn't want to step on Empire Strikes Back territory since they're already stepping on Conan territory with, <laughs> with Dark, Dark Wolf being the dad. Though, see, for me, and, and this is just my thought with Dark Wolf, I almost thought, and I I know I'm probably reaching, I and I apologize, but I almost got like he was nature's defender and he was either an embodiment of the planet or the, the world that they had, you know, nature, he was like, they, he came about because it was nearing the end of the world and nature's like, well, the humans aren't doing it. So let's wake our ultimate warrior basically with dark wolf. And that's the way I kind of thought of him as. Yeah. I think you're, I mean, you're on maybe onto something a little bit there because even in the, in the movie, there's hints that he's something more than, than maybe what's on the surface because isn't it uh larn is in the ruins and doesn't he see uh dark wolf's head like sculpted into the wall of of the ruins um just briefly and you know it's look old and run down it's like okay well how old is dark wolf or who you know who is this dark wolf was he worshipped by people you know it's just so, so I think there's little hints there that there might be a, a greater backstory, but you know, just, just hints. Yeah. I mean, there are just hints, but you're right uh, with it. And you know, whether or not he is that statue of ruins were maybe, you know, him or maybe he's just from a line of defenders of nature. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so sure. to speak, because I mean, in the final climax, he's the one not, uh, you know, he's trying man larn it's actually dark wolf who's like yeah i can't get too brainwashed by necron's powers and and you know gives him an axe to the head uh, you yeah know. i never explained that either but that whole storyline would have helped explain that mm-hmm. and and that's why i got kind of the gist that he was something maybe a little more uh you know he was part of nature connected to the world more or you know an embodiment he was something that was created by the world because this the world they have constructed i love the world that they construct here um and and it just seemed natural that uh, that type of setting and that type of world you might have some kind of physical embodiment of nature fighting back at all these idiots who are ruining it um 
but uh, because this world, and that's what I want to talk about uh, next, and then uh, I want to go to the questions you guys have. I love this world that they painted, though, because this is like one of the most deadly planets ever to live on, and, and I loved that angle. Scott, what did you think of this world they painted with with pretty much you know, danger at every single corner. And I'm not just talking about the guys that are following Necron. Well, aside from the shape of the people, uh, mm -hmm. the closest you get to seeing the finished print of like Frazetta's artwork is in the painted backgrounds. And these painted backgrounds are beautiful. Um, uh, oh, in, incident, in, incidentally, the one bit of trivia I did manage to get is that the painted backgrounds were all done by two people. One of oh, whom wow. was the guy who wound up doing uh, the illustrations and the paintings for Dinotopia. Huh. And the other oh, one was Thomas Kincaid. Painter of love. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy. Thomas Kincaid is in the credits. Yep. Who, ne who never painted a cabin that didn't make him a million dollars, you know? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he did all the backgrounds. But no, the backgrounds are. And it, I actually find that kind of funny because. There's so much character to the backgrounds. There's so much like beautiful little inconsistency. And some of these backgrounds are, you know, establishing shots and they're there for a while. And then some of these backgrounds, these painted backgrounds are only in there for a couple seconds. Mm -hmm. There's so many of these backgrounds, but they are beautiful things. And they kind of have that very pulpy tradition of being both kind of showing a beautiful landscape, but showing this savage, untamed land where, you know, the wrong step could get you killed, you know? And, uh, yeah, that was actually probably some of the most, uh, it's odd, but that was probably some of the most impressive stuff in the movie were these just beautiful backgrounds mm -hmm. that really helped shape this world. Uh, far more, I, I'd say, than, or at least as much as any of the uh, rotoscoped animation did. Right. And as far as the rotoscoping going goes, uh, you, you almost think this is more cell animated than rotoscope. I, I didn't even it didn't even dawn on me that this was still rotoscoping the way it was drawn. Oh, yeah, they do um, show. I mean, some one thing I did manage to catch in the very few extras I did watch is that they do have black and white footage of the actual rotoscoped footage on there with like these beautiful like male and female models, you know, doing all the, like the running and the jumping and like, you know, slow motion, throwing the spears and stuff like that. And I mean, it's, and they show how they go over it and it's uh yeah, they definitely did it. I mean, basically if you look at it, cause it's all like in black and white, if you look at it, you know, the, just mm -hmm. the rotoscope, rotos the, the shots they used to rotoscope was, it looks kind of like if, you know, Calvin Klein directed Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, we actually have uh, one of our uh, folks who are watching us live right now, and they uh, kind of wanted to ask, uh, what did you think of the nighttime scenes in here? Uh, Glenn, what did you think of the nighttime scenes, the way they were drawn and, and the artistry of this world they created? I love the artistry of, of everything. It's... Mm -hmm. uh, I think they create some beautiful imagery in this film. And I, I, I thought so too. I thought the nighttime scenes felt like nighttime. Didn't they Ray? Did, did these feel, I mean, it was, I thought really well handled the difference between day and night in this. Yeah. And not just with the, the nighttime scenes, you know, uh, when you had characters emerging from the fog, mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was particularly impressed with that. I thought they did. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, they did a solid job with the nighttime scenes, daytime scenes, uh, 
that that background environmental visual i guess yes. it, yeah it, it does have that more art feel uh that we've seen with bakshi i mean with wizards and with american pop and uh jason how about you with with the artistry in this and and the way some of those nighttime scenes were drawn and just this world they painted literally yeah literally it it uh i think they do a really good they did a really good job of uh well evoking frazetta and 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 pulp uh, you know, uh, pulp fantasy and adventure and and uh i particularly i'm always a fan of the the monsters and the creatures and you know I, the the giant lizard and the you know the, the stuff the creatures that weren't rotoscoped that look you know the uh what do you got the giant lizard you got the wolves you got that nasty pill bug thing that attacks the guy's arm and the the uh the tentacled creature in the lake i mean i I love the way uh all those were done and i just thought it really those were some of my favorite uh parts of the movie i thought they just did a a really good job but it also kind of to the point with the night scenes and the backgrounds it just just the atmosphere that it created and i I thought they did a really good job but again you know frazetta was was right there you know, it, you know, he was, he was producer on it. So he was, um, actually talks about the artists, uh, you know, basically freaking out because they were like, I, I can't draw with Rosetta looking over my shoulder. <laughs> like, you know, it, this is, this is too much pressure, you know, because he's such an icon and, and, uh, such an influence on, you know, those, you know, those animators. So, but yeah. I, I think it shows in the shows in the final product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. the The artistry stands out, I think, more so than anything in this film, uh, uh, and, and that unique environment they created. It just, it really, that's what caught me more than this. It, it, even more so than what we got in Wizards. This one really felt like those living pulp covers of of Conan and and the other fantasy pulp films. Uh, books, excuse me, that that were out at the time, uh, and it, that's what captured me with it. And and I think it it gives a nice, unique style to it. And and there is a little a bit more style over substance in this film, yeah, um, a little, just a little, I think, with mm-hmm. it, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, I mean, I'm I'm all down with visuals, uh, with it and. Yeah, uh, so I think we'll, we'll jump here to your guys' questions, and we'll start with Jason. Jason, did you have a topic or something that we haven't touched on yet that you, you maybe want to talk about? Well, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, Fire and Ice is rated PG. There's no nudity, uh, no sex or implied sex, uh, really. Um, so do you guys think that was the right decision, you know, artistically or financially? And then if it had been made as a hard R movie, I mean, this is coming after heavy metal and after Conan where there's, you know, there's nudity and sex and, you know, how do you think that would have affected the movie's popularity and its legacy? Ooh, nice. Uh, Ray, why don't we start with you? Uh, you know, frankly, I think it's better as a, a PG movie, um, but it's, you know, it's playing what if and trying to visualize an R version of the movie. Right. Uh, I think if it had, if this had come about post-1985, it would have had a PG-13 rating on it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, 
I don't know how much it would have affected. I think it would have made it more of a cult classic, especially at least for the next 15 years uh, with, ooh, another R-rated animated movie that's, you know, American-made. Yeah. Uh, you know, heavy metal uh, being the the one that I mostly knew at that time about that. Nowadays, I, I don't know how it would have affected it. I imagine it would still be a cult classic. Um, just my personal opinion, though. I, I like it as is. Sure. And, and nothing wrong with that. Uh, and uh, Scott, how about you? Do you think uh, the R rate, it, it, if it made an R rating, it would have been more successful or more possibly popular? It would have definitely been more successful, if not on initial release, uh, in the years following, I'd mm-hmm. definitely say. Um, because I think it would have been kind of lumped in with like heavy metal, which isn't that strong of a movie, guys. No. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's about as strong. I mean, I mean it's not bad, but it's, it's about as strong as Fire and Ice is. And, um, and uh, you know, just like, you know, uh, like movies like that, I think uh, it would have probably done better. I'm trying to visualize it here. And um, I can see where they can go R. I think it works fine as a PG movie. I can see where they could go more with an R rating. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway wrote the original script for Conan the Destroyer. And that got lightened up by Universal. They decided to make that more of a kid's movie, which, of course, yeah. if you've seen Conan the Bar- Barbarian, it's completely opposite of what that was. Uh, in their hands, Conan the Destroyer would have been still like a fun adventure movie, but it was a lot more violent. There was more sex. Like Conan boned both, you know, Sarah Douglas and Olivia Dabo in the movie, um, and uh, because he's Conan, and you know, yeah. <laughs> and so I mean, like they they were like primed to make R-rated material, so. I don't know if that was ever in the cards. I think that at the time, I think it might have played better, but it plays fine as is. Its legacy would probably it would probably be more remembered mm-hmm. if they went R. And to answer your first question, um, I think after I think it was if it was released in the '90s, it would have been PG-13. Um, at the time, no, PG's fine rating. Uh, a lot of people uh, – I know that I don't necessarily speak for all of you guys because some of you are my are my age. I think it, uh, one or two of you might be younger. Maybe one or, one or two of you are older. I don't know. I'm not going to get into your personal business. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, PG-13 came out in 1984, one year after this movie. And when it came out, it really was the rating. It wasn't supposed to be a – you know, the rating that everything gets. It was supposed to be something that would quiet down the parents who freaked out about Temple of Doom and everything like that. Um, so for the first few years, PG-13 was really close to R. I mean, really mm-hmm. close to R. In fact, there's, if you ask me, the very first film to ever be rated, the well, to be released with a PG-13 rating, Red Dawn, there's no <laughs> right. doubt in my mind that would be rated R today. Uh, <laughs> as part of my proof, I will po- point out the PG-13 remake of Red Dawn, which is not even close to being as heavy as the original. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it would have gotten around with a PG all throughout the 80s. 
and I think it was the fu- the right rating for it. I think PG is fine. PG just means parental guidance. It doesn't mean that it's okay to send the kids to it. It means that no, look, there's some stuff in it, but it's not gonna like traumatize your children, you yeah. know. So, uh, and I think that anytime uh, after 1980, the, after the summer of 1989, which is when I see the rating changing, uh, thanks to Batman being rated PG-13 and Indiana Jones being rated PG-13 and Ghostbusters 2 going more kiddie and being rated PG and not doing well at all, Mm -hmm. or at least compared to the original, that's when I think the ratings changed, was that after that summer. Yeah. Um, And uh, I think that if it was released any time after that, it would have been PG-13. Otherwise, it would have been PG and it would have been fine. To mm-hmm. answer the first part, I kind of re- answered your questions in reverse order. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Glenn. Glenn, any uh, added thoughts with this on on the rating of it? Uh, does it work as PG thirteen, and, and do you think it'd be maybe better as an R film? Um, possibly. I don't know. Maybe it's mm-hmm. it's hard to say. I mean, I, I don't think that it necessarily needs to be an R film, but I don't think it would hurt it. <laughs> sure, it it felt like it le- leaned towards it though, because it it does get dark in spot. I mean it, it's kind of leaning like, yeah, we could go R here, but we don't. Um, at least that's the feeling I got for some of those scenes, uh, with it. But I I I think it, yeah, I think this rating is is all right. It surprises me that it's PG because it comes up in a lot of lists of as being the mature and it's probably because of the Tigra character. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's the most uh, in it. I mean, there's a lot of violence in it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, um, a lot of on-screen deaths, a lot which... of on-screen deaths. I kind of look at it though, like um, uh, three years after this movie, mm-hmm. uh, after PG 13 came out. In fact, we got star chaser, the legend of Orin, mm-hmm. which looks like a nice kitty movie. <laughs> and if you watch the movie, no, it's more adult-oriented and uh, has a lot of really graphic on-screen deaths. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that it's even more the sex appeal, right. the eroticism, this implied eroticism uh, that made kind of would make people kind of like raise their eyebrows and stuff. But I think it would have gotten. I think PG is still the right rating for it because I think the rating system is all messed up. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that is definitely that. That's a whole nother podcast right there. <laughs> oh, it really is. And I don't even have a dog in the fight. You know, I'm in my 40s. I can see whatever I want to, but <laughs> it still pisses me off because yeah. I just think that people have grown more tolerant in the wrong areas and grown mm-hmm. more intolerant in others. Yeah. I, I can definitely see that. So that's a good question because uh, I had kind of had that thought too of going, wow, they, they could kind of lean on R with this. But maybe, the, again, being R too, it, it would maybe lean way too closer to Conan, which came out just the year before. So, you know, where it would be R, you could almost see them being even more like Conan. <laughs> and, yeah, but, you know, there were so, like, you know how many films ripped off conan i mean well, yeah well, and yeah. they were almost all rated r <laughs> i mean except for your you know and maybe the second a tour movie they were all rated r and yeah. so 
because they because they were all expected to have boobs and stuff like that in it. Boobs and in blood, it. yeah. Boobs and blood, yeah. I mean, that was the deal. I mean, that was uh, basically the story was that uh, uh, Roger Corman went to see Conan the Barbarian opening weekend, and he came back with mixed emotions at New World Pictures, and he said, "Damn it." We should have made that movie. <laughs> so, like for the next like two years, they did over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, Glenn, how about you? Did you have a topic or something we haven't touched on yet for the group tonight? I do not. No, oh, that's okay. No, it's it's. I mean, we've covered so much already. There's not sure. a lot left in this, except that you know we're we're realizing that Conan actually copied Sword and the Sorcerer, so. Well, yeah, that's true. Yes, well, they all kind of came out at the same time. I think <laughs> Sword and the Sorcerer was more D and D, and Conan yes. was kind of traditional yes. Viking, and Viking shit. Studio. What? By the same studio. Yes. Yes, Universal yeah. did both. Yeah. Well, they they I think they even used some of the same props. But uh, <laughs> Scotty D, you have anything? It wasn't a big one. Uh, I will just say, okay, this was um, the one. The only thing I could come up with was that. Uh, uh, you know, Mark, you and I and Andrew talked about American Pop like a week or two ago. Yeah. And um, this was the last film that Ralph Bakshi released theatrically for a long time. And the second to last film he released theatrically, period, so far. Uh, it ended basically this great, like, 11 or 12-year run for him. Uh because the only thing he did he had released theatrically after this was Cool World, Cool World, mm-hmm. and then you know, but he had like you know like a, like a ton of movies beforehand. Vakshi did like basically two types of movies. He did these kind of weird counterculture movies, and then he did these fantasy movies. My question would be, where would do you think Fire and Ice stacks up against the quality of his other work? Oh, nice question. Jason, uh, what do you think? Uh, where does Fire and Ice rate within the Bakshi catalog? Well, I you know, I, I listened to the American Pop episode, and I've not seen that movie. And I really, <laughs> so really, really, I know, I know. I want to see that. And um, I honestly, I haven't seen Fritz the Cat. I haven't seen Heavy Traffic. So, I mean, I've seen Cool World, Wizards, you know, um, what am I missing? But um, so... I, I don't know that I'm the best, um, you know, <laughs> to, to place this movie in in his uh, canon. Uh, but you know, I I would say that it's it's a solid entry. But it's uh, from what I understand, it's it's no American pop or uh, you know. Um, so I, I guess I guess I'm maybe not the best judge on that <laughs> no it's okay uh but out of the ones you've seen where would you rate it is this uh, one of your uh the you know well, more favorite out of the I, ones you've seen or? i i like it uh, i like it better than cool world oh there you go well <laughs> i don't i don't know if that's saying a whole lot i don't know what, <laughs> i don't know what the consensus in this group is of cool world but uh um I, and actually you know i I, I think I like it. I like it better than Wizard, and I, I that that I don't know if that's a if that, if that's kind of a controversial uh, position there, probably. But uh, and, and I think it's because it uh, you know it really speaks to the what the thirteen year old in me, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, and sure. Uh, and and there's nostalgia there, and and kind of um, it really you know I'm, I'm a fan of of 
Frazetta and, and Conan and, and Edgar Rice Burroughs. And, and it just kind of, it, it touches on a lot of that stuff. And, and to me, the, the, uh, yeah, the story's really pretty weak. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but there's other things that make up for it. And, and, uh, so I, I just say it's, it's, it's pretty solid entry for me. Nice. And Ray, how about you in, in the back sheet catalog of you, what you've seen? Uh, yeah, I should point out uh, the caveat. I have not seen heavy traffic or American pop. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, you know, I have the, uh, nostalgia bias, going here and I, I freely admit that but that said I prefer wizards mm-hmm. I would put um, and I think if I were being objective I would say Fritz the Cat is probably a better movie as well mm-hmm. but I didn't see Fritz the Cat and I think the first time I saw Fritz the Cat and I, ha- I now have it on DVD but that's when I first saw it when I got the DVD like five or six years ago um, so I would definitely put Wizards above Fire and Ice, but it, it's still – I watch Fire and Ice every year. Sure. I watch it with my kids. My kids are huge fans of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's cool. where I would rate it. Cool. Uh, and uh, Glenn? The nostalgia makes me put Lord of the Rings higher than it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, Fire and Ice would be kind of upper middle. below. Sure. I think below Wizards, below Heavy Traffic, below Fritz the Cat, but – Above, uh, above stuff like Cruel World and uh, mm-hmm. Coonskin, mm-hmm. probably, a, I don't know about American Pop. It's been so long since I've seen that. I don't, I don't remember it that well. Right. And uh, Scotty D, your own question. Where, where would you put Fire and Ice? I don't have a very detailed answer. I will say that I, I too, have not seen every uh, Backstreet film. I've seen mm-hmm. about half of the theatrical least released films he's done. Um but uh, it would be towards the bottom. Uh, however, it, which is not to say that it's a bad movie. It's still a decent movie. It's still fun. It's just not quite as, you know, deep or detailed, you know. And considering that it was his last hurrah for, I think, what, like nine years until Cool World, it kind of seemed like uh, ending with a whimper rather than a bang. Um Cool world to go go into that. I think that the animated sequences of that movie are incredible. That was my most awaited movie of that year. While everybody else is waiting for like Batman Returns, <laughs> Cool World. <laughs> and uh, but uh, but like the, the the animated sequences are great. The live action ones not so much. Um, but um, Fire and Ice would probably be towards the bottom, even though. But that's not a slam on Bakshi or the film. I think it's it's still a decent, uh, very entertaining movie. It's but would just you, not, not in depth. What, what, would yeah. you put it above or below his uh, Deputy Dog episodes? I want to see those Deputy Dog episodes. <laughs> yeah, so do I've I never now. seen them. I've, so do I, I. I want to see them. I want to find out if they're like on like YouTube or if I can order a DVD or something. I want to see that. I will say that he did the uh, uh, he did one of my favorite uh, mid '80s cartoons. Is that he did the Mighty Mouse cartoon that came yeah. out in the mid '80s? And if you get to watch those. Those are freaking nuts. <laughs> I, I, actually, I was never even a huge fan of like the old, old, old Mighty Mouse, but the one from the mid-80s I liked because it was just so bizarre. And I think when I was a kid, it was probably like the first Bakshi I was allowed to see. <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, and they were risky too. The 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 Mighty Mouses. I remember that when they were re-releasing them. Um, those some of those were pretty doggone risky. <laughs> oh yeah, he, he got away. He got away with a lot of weird stuff, and it was very Bakshi in style. I mean, if you you mm-hmm. can take make a direct line between that and say like the animation of Cool World uh, a few years yeah. later. Because there's like all this really weird jagged art, like everything is you know exaggerated. It's basically, it's like you know, it's it's like Mighty Mouse and Tex Avery on acid. Those things. <laughs> uh, so those are great, and I would love to see his old Deputy Dog episodes. It reminded me, it reminded me of some of those Tom and Jerry episodes you used to watch that they used to work in, where you'd be watching them as a kid and going. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> well, those old Tom and Je- Jerry episodes, I used to watch and say, "Wow, that's racist." Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, yeah. whenever they'd have like the, you know, yeah, the, the owner, uh, yeah, the, the one that was obviously like, oh, yeah, not the best, um, mm. not the best depiction of um, a- African Americans. No, uh, no. <laughs> even if right. they were only like from the knees up, it, yeah. it still managed to be offensive. <laughs> Yeah, it did. Uh, and and Mighty Mouse did kind of play around with with what he got away with was surprising. But for me, uh, yeah, Fire and Ice. It out of all of them, I I would say it's it doesn't feel like Bakshi. If you look at his other ones with the way the rotoscoping even is handled in that, uh, I would say out of the limited ones that I've watched, because I haven't watched all of them, but even if we would compare to the ones that we've covered on this show where we've talked about like wizards and we've talked about uh, American pop and you go to this, it is a different style than these, those other two in, in many ways, you know uh, the way the art is, you know, a lot more um, and the way it was hand drawn and just the way it was handled, I thought was, was different. It had a different feel artistically than, I think the uh, you know the other ones that we've covered here, especially on the show in this past few months. So, uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad one. I I think I prefer like American Pop and Wizards a little more. Uh, And Lord of the Rings, yeah, it's a little bit in a different category because Gollum still scares me to this freaking day. So, uh, (laughs) I think we'll uh, wrap it up here tonight for Fire and Ice. Uh, Though I will say the one thing with Fire and Ice. When you get to the very end, because we are the spoiler room, uh, why didn't they just unleash the lava in the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> well, they would have because they would have taken out the entire. I know, I know. Village, why. and they yeah. were kind of hoping yeah. that they wouldn't do that before then. Then I was like, yeah, well, okay, yes. <laughs> Like, well, we can't do it. They'll kill everybody. They're already dead. Oh, well. Oh, okay. Lava. We'll just unleash <laughs> lava. But you know, my. Which- my thing was that what was that he spends this time like, oh, we have to get my daughter. I love her so much. And then they, when they tell him his son's dead, he's just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but my daughter, damn it. Oh, yeah. But his son, come on. His son. Taro was Prince, Prince Welp, whiny little punk. <laughs> well, it really, he really seemed like this. But he was the one that they were priming to be like the heir. Obviously, he was always I at know, his side. Sad. Always thing. It is sad, but <laughs> it's like you know, there's like you know, but father. <laughs> I mean, he was like whining. It was. Did you also annoying. notice that 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 was the character that probably looked most like Conan? I wondered. If there, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if exactly. there was something there to that, like you know, just like. 
Like let's 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 make the whiny little brat look just like Cohen, just to yeah. upset the balance. <laughs> well, look at who his dad was. Yeah, we killed the Neanderthal messengers. Let's send my son, the heir, and oh. two other red shirts to go into the lair of the villain to negotiate. I'm like, he's a terrible king. <laughs> 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 Good thing he's in charge of all the lava. Yeah, right. <laughs> we don't want his hand close to the button that releases the lava. Exactly. <laughs> more, more Trump analogies here? What's uh, not, uh, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Just when he releases the lava, the lava will be huge. <laughs> People will love it. They love the lava. I know I've asked them. They will make lava. the Ice Kingdom pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're definitely going to end it for the evening. Uh, this is the part where you could uh, find out where these fine folks are when they're not here. Uh, Glenn, why don't you go ahead and tell these lovely folks who haven't heard your sweet, sweet pipes where they can find you at? You can find me on the YouTube with Gaeta Bunker Productions and the BB Bunkers. Same thing on Facebook, or just follow me on Twitter at Gaeta Bunker, or check out my website, GaetaBunker.com. Awesome. And Jason, when's when's Chaotic Evil 2 coming out? <laughs> uh, you uh, search, search for Chaotic Evil in Facebook and make sure you get the right Chaotic Evil, the one about the movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there'll be updates on their. I, I plan to update it sometime in the next two or three years. Awesome. I'm, so. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, check out his, his original. Is Chaotic Evil, is that on the YouTubes? or? Yeah, if, yeah, if you can find the uh, Facebook page, there'll be a Vimeo link there to, uh, to watch Chaotic Evil. Ooh, going Vimeo, nice. Uh, (laughs) And uh, Ray, the man of mystery, he can be found here. And, uh, well, Ray, you do still, are your reviews still out there in the interwebs? You know, I think most of them have finally been... uh, Archived? Even beyond that, yeah. The parent company that had them, I think they, uh, the whole publication that they were done for, they... uh, they, they got rid of those links a uh, year or two back. I occasionally check and it's been a year or two since they've, they've been up unfortunately, oh. but I get, I get it. It had been a number of years. So that's just what makes you more of a man of mystery. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and Scotty D, how about you? Vimeo is awesome. And that's uh, also in addition to Jason's film, it's where you can catch my web series, Movieocrity all about exploitation films. You can catch that at vimeo.com slash channels slash moviocrity. And if you want to read all my articles, like the one I just published on the best films of 2016 or all the podcasts I'm on or everything like that, you can catch all that at www.moviocrity.com. Fantastic. And you find links to all these fine folks at specialmarkproductions.com where we've got the Spoiler Room Archive and we're also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Follow us on the Spoiler Room PDCS uh, Twitter. That's Spoiler Room PDCS is our Twitter handle on there. 
or you can find us on the Facebook. We are in a bit of a transition. I'm moving things from pages to actually groups so we can interact with you better. So look for that soon on Facebook. Uh, should be happening beginning of April where there will actually be a, a Special Mark Productions group. So uh, look for that and so much more at SpecialMarkProductions.com. We thank you for tuning in and hope you've enjoyed our discussion. And uh, yeah, until next time, folks, uh, say good night, gentlemen. Good night, Good night gentlemen. gentlemen. Good night.